0: The Spirit of the Lord is our main focus in this class, and so it shouldn't stand to surprise us too much that the only references in the book of Daniel regarding the Spirit of the Lord are right here, where Daniel is addressing the issues of both humility and pride and what that affects in people and how it is God brings about humility and also lets pride go its own path. Um, in both of these instances, it is the spirit of God who gives Daniel the ability to interpret these dreams, the ability to know these dreams and to be able to read what is written by the fingertip of God on the, um, on the wall at Belshazzar's feast. We're going to read both of these. And as we go, I will be pointing out the, uh, references to the spirit of the holy gods, uh, here as we continue on. So, um, The setting, of course, Nebuchadnezzar had taken over all of Jerusalem. He had destroyed the temple, he had destroyed the walls, and then carried off most of the best things from the southern kingdom. And so, what had happened to the northern kingdom has now happened to the southern kingdom. We discussed last week how Ezekiel is a contemporary, a little bit older than Daniel, but a contemporary of Daniel. And we walked through all of his story last time. And. Uh, the things that God was dealing with um with Ezekiel, then now he uh we kind of turn back a bit of the clock and look at Daniel in his early years and then we see Daniel in his later years um, between these two chapters so in in some of his more earlier years, Nebuchadnezzar, this is still um, he was a teenager when he was taken away from Jerusalem, and when we come to uh, when we come to him here we're still a bit early on in his life um I think the most uh, popularly well-known stories from Daniel are chapters 3 and 6, that's the fiery furnace with his friends, and then that's the lion's den, just him. It's all four of them, but in two different stories, and both of them being delivered from certain death. And that's kind of a a reality. And something that his uh, three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, express they know that God can save them, but they also know that God typically does not intervene in the suffering of His people, and so they say, even if He doesn't save us, we will still not bow down to the image nor serve your God. Um, and then, after that, obviously, uh, they are delivered. Nebuchadnezzar throws the guys who were challenging them into the furnace after uh, they came out of it, and then it consumed them instantly. Um, Nebuchadnezzar uh, turns away from this idea uh, of all of these things and all of that's going on, and uh, he comes and tells us a whole new story. And uh, chapter four is one of the more unique ones, because chapter four is actually written by King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a letter that he sends out that tells the story of his humiliation. And so let's read it. Daniel chapter four. This is the letter he writes, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Here's his story. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, so that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me. He, who was named Belteshazzar, Uh, after the name of my God, and in whom is, this is a very important terminology, the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretations. The visions of my head as I lay on my bed were these. I saw and behold a great tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to the heavens, and it was visible to the end of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful and full, and its fruit abundant, and there was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay on my bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven, and he proclaimed aloud and said thus, "'Chop down the tree and lop off its branches.'" Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. and Let his mind be changed from a man's and let the beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision is by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and he sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to the heavens— and it was visible to the end of the earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which there was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, leave the stump uh, of its roots in the earth. Bound, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon you, Lord the king, that you may, shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be made with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whomever he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the root of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity." Nebuchadnezzar writes, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will immediately the word was fulfilled against nebuchadnezzar he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until his nails and excuse me until his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like birds claws At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. As we read this chapter, what things stand out to you before we even get into some of the analysis of regarding the Spirit of the Lord that's involved in all this? What things stand out? I
1: think he was expressing
0: the fact that, uh, that God was God. I mean, he, yep. that he was the only God. Pretty powerful way to learn that, isn't it? Uh, as far as for the amount of pride he had, it seemed almost a, a matched way deal with his humiliation for sure um i find it fascinating that he tries to go to all the other magicians and all the other astrologers first until he finally comes to the chief magician who was daniel at this point in his life and ask him what's going on because it seems it seems to all of them that whatever the interpretation is it's not something that mankind can come up with that is something that daniel even says to nebuchadnezzar earlier on I cannot interpret dreams for you, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries like this. Uh, This is not something that is natural to Daniel. He does not have a natural knack for just interpreting dreams and knowing the future. Nobody has that. Nobody has the ability to perceive what dreams mean. Nobody has the natural ability to perceive what the future will be. But here Daniel is saying the very thing. Uh, And Nebuchadnezzar has already recognized it. There is one in my kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Now this is, um, if your Bible does not capitalize S, it should. uh, That is a clear reference of how Nebuchadnezzar in his own language and in his own way understood that the spirit that was at work in Daniel was not a natural man's spirit. Because nobody can do this. You know, before this, it was actually... Able that Daniel was able to tell what the dream itself actually was, not just its interpretation, but he was able to even tell what the dream was. This was something that Nebuchadnezzar had back in chapter two, where he was saying, if the interpretation is to be known to you, and God is truly involved in this, then you can tell me the dream as well. A remarkable thing. That's how Daniel got into the position of chief of the magicians. Because Daniel says, well, no... No king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or any astrologer who could possibly do that. Nebuchadnezzar was like, well, I've forgotten what the dream is. And so you need to be able to tell me what the dream is. I know it was terrifying. I'll be able to remember that that was indeed what the dream was. And then I will be able to trust your interpretation. Who wants to be in those shoes? No. And so Daniel says, this is no natural ability. Nobody can do this. Says, but give me a day. And God gives the same dream to Daniel that night and the interpretation. And he goes to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, this, O king, was the dream. This is its interpretation. And it was all about the, the four types of metal that uh, made up the, uh, the statue that represents all these kingdoms. The pride that Nebuchadnezzar garnered from being the head of gold in that dream led to him building an idol of his own self and telling people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down to it. That's what ended them up in the fiery furnace. And then now we have Nebuchadnezzar facing his own pride yet again. Because, again, the problem with pride is not informational lack. It's not that we don't have enough information that God is the king of heaven. We do have enough information that God is the king of heaven. Pride is subversive to knowledge. It will override everything that we know. And so what is going on here is is Nebuchadnezzar is saying, "I have yet another dream. this time I'm not even going to risk it that somebody's going to give me an interpretation. Let me give them the dream." And he lays it out for them. And Daniel came in to Nebuchadnezzar and uh, as Nebuchadnezzar is writing this uh, this letter to all of his um, to all of the people in the world, basically, and he says, "This man has in him the spirit of the holy gods." Not just of our gods. There is something in this man that is beyond humans. It's beyond magicians. It's beyond astrologers. Um, If you're not aware, the the story of the Magi, when uh, Jesus is born and growing up in Bethlehem for uh, those first two years, when they finally come and visit him, they don't visit him at his birth. That's a misunderstanding. It's up to two years later, actually. Um, probably a year and a half or so. It takes a while to get there. And from the time the star went, they were trying to work back when he was born. But the Magi that came out from the East would have been connected to the same school that Daniel would have founded when he was there. These are the magicians. These are the astrologers, those who can look up at the sky and understand certain things in the ancient world. God actually used their pagan practices to talk to them about his coming son which is why we have three magicians, that's what Magi is short for, three magicians showing up at Bethlehem, but not with overly specific information. They still had to go to Herod and go, hey, we know he's in this land somewhere. We know about this place or about the time he was born. Tell us where he's supposed to be born. They're like, oh, the scriptures say Bethlehem. And they're like, see ya, we're off to Bethlehem. And so they went to go find him. They have that knowledge because God interacts with people in different cultures at this time in different ways. It may not sit very well with us that God even used astrology to express his revelation in the world, but he has used so many different ways. In fact, the opening of the book of Hebrews, for those of you who did your homework this week, you'll recognize, opens up with Hebrews chapter one, expressing this very thing. God used to use various means and various ways to speak to us. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And this is one of those various ways. And Nebuchadnezzar had picked up on this. There is a God in heaven who can reveal the purpose and the interpretation of dreams. Usually dreams, when they meant something in the ancient world, you would only know after the fact. But as we saw with Joseph and Pharaoh, Pharaoh was able to perceive that Joseph had the spirit of God in him, and he put him in a position of rulership. Same thing is happening here with Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, and we mentioned back there this is going to happen again. This same picture is the fact that only secrets like this can be revealed only by God. There is not a natural knack for people to be able to interpret dreams. And so Nebuchadnezzar recognizes this in Daniel. He says, this is one in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. He says in verse 9, he says to Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. This is an important aspect of the book of Daniel as a whole. The book of Daniel as a whole is talking about the mysteries not only that are pertinent at the time of the people in their exile, but also for the next 500 years of history. This is something that as we as modern readers look back to the book of Daniel, it's kind of hard for us to address how overwhelming the book of Daniel actually is because it told the future with specificity that people were able to know it before it happened. That's very, very unusual in prophecy. Prophecy is usually very enigmatic, right? Have you ever read the book of Revelation? How easy is that book to understand before the things happened? Almost impossible. And so we have to understand it's dealing with suffering. It's dealing with realizing who wins. It's deal- realizing with we have a responsibility to do and endure to the end because however God's going to bring all this about and all the strange visions and things that are going on in it, we know what the end is. It's a remarkable call to endurance in the midst of this world, Right. That's what a lot of prophecy is before it, but Daniel is different. Daniel reveals to people, to Nebuchadnezzar, to to Belshazzar, and then to the rest of us, exactly what the future world for the next 500 years looks like. In fact, so much so that those who doubt the inspiration of scripture say there's no way that Daniel could have been written before these events. That makes it difficult because the reality is that the people that were living at the time fully recognized that they were working themselves through prophecy because Daniel was describing things, the rise of Nebuchadnezzar and the fall of Babylon, the rise of Persia and the fall of Persia, the rise of Greece, and not only just the rise of entire empires, but with absolute specificity, which rulers, what they would do, where they would travel and how they would end. So much so that actually when Alexander the Great came to Jerusalem, they presented him with a copy of the book of Daniel and he read about himself while he was taking over Jerusalem, that he would take over Jerusalem. And then he read the rest of the book to see if it would be successful after that. And it says, yes, to a point. And then another kingdom will come in because yours will fracture upon your death. Which if anyone knows about the history of Greece after the death of Alexander the Great, what happened to his kingdom after, it fra- after he died? Fractured. The Ptolemies, the Seleucids, there's all sorts of things that happen with reference to all of that. And then Rome will come in, a divided kingdom of its own, and take over Jerusalem again. What are we to do with all that? We're to realize that these mysteries, these secrets, belong to the mind of God. And it is the Spirit of God who reveals these things. It is not to say that Because we possess the spirit of God, now all of a sudden we should go out and be interpreting dreams. Don't do that. That's not the application of this. We don't live before Christ where he is showing us things in diverse and bizarre, strange ways. No, he's given us the gospel once and for all to Christ. And he has established the scriptures to expand and explain all of these things. Um, as, As in the book of Acts, we find out the times of ignorance God has overlooked. And now he has one message for all. Turn from sin and turn to Christ. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is the message that now goes out not only to Israel or to Rome, but to all the extents of the ends of the earth. That's what the Spirit of God is involved with now. Not dreams, not personal inspirations, not any of these things. Daniel here is explaining the reality that such secrets belong to the Lord. And when he reveals them, now they belong to us. For Nebuchadnezzar, says, here's the dream, here's the interpretation. And what a story. How many of you have been familiar with this story before this morning? The story of Nebuchadnezzar going and living out as a beast in the field. What, what did you pick up from this story? What is so unique about this story? Uh, knowing what you know about Daniel knowing what you know about what's going on, what things stand out to you about this story and why it's included here? Yeah, in an ego. while the words were coming out of his mouth, he's standing on the roof of his palace and that's how it goes. Um, with regards to such pride, what are we to learn about the Spirit of God? If the Spirit of God is both giving the dream and then giving the interpretation, which it's, he certainly is, who's the one carrying this out? The Spirit of God turning him into this very thing why? Is this a normal thing? No. This is a supernaturally bizarre thing. This is, not a, this is not a normal thing. This is a humiliation that is on a whole nother level. You don't get things like this. It doesn't work like that very often. Um, and I, I want to point out to verse 28 and 29 here. Uh, after this uh, interpretation is made known to him by Daniel, look how much time it takes. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, less than a year, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon and the king just goes out and goes, I'm awesome. And God says, I got a lesson for you. It may have taken you one year to forget my interpretation and my dream, but it's going to take you seven years to learn what it was meant to teach you. And what is it meant to teach him? Humility. and god's reign I want to say to you, um, could it possibly be the
1: fact that he wasn't killed because he was to his people and he basically was a good a good leader
0: in a lot of ways, yes
1: and, in other words, he, he was a good leader, but his pride brought him down yep. in other words, it wasn't like he was hurting other people I think God was, took leniency on him in the sense of not killing him. Were putting to
0: death like people. So he had been hurting other people, too. Uh, obviously, in the chapter before this, he's throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace and many others, by the way. Um, and so, but as far as for why God spared him, uh, that's an interesting question. And this is something that uh, goes into the area that's a little outside of this class, but it really goes into the area of providence. Why does God insist on humbling some, but then others, he dispatches his judgment quickly. Uh, we don't know the plans of God or the mind of God. Those things are still secret to him. Um, but with regards to Nebuchadnezzar, what we can say is he didn't deserve to be corrected. He deserved to be killed. He's a king ruling on God's earth. He owes God his allegiance. Uh, it's not a neutral place to be, to be a king that does not, owe, that does not give God his due honor. Uh, If you are ruling or if you are living on God's earth, you owe him thanks. You owe him service. Why? Because it's his earth and you're his creation, you know? And so as, as Nebuchadnezzar is doing this, he's saying, no, this is my earth. It's my creation. This is what I have made with my great hands. Um, As far as this plot of land is concerned called Babylon, I am God. And God says, well, let me, um, let me straighten you out there just a bit, uh, fella. It doesn't really work like that. Um, the word fell uh, against Nebuchadnezzar, driven out amongst men, grass like an ox, body was wet with the dew of heaven, his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Quite a Quite a picture indeed. We don't get any specificity about those seven years. Nebuchadnezzar's letter skips right to the end and goes, it really isn't about my suffering. It's not about all of the Issues that happened. It's not about what happened to my kingdom and how much smaller it got in my absence, which is what happens. But at the end of those days, I lifted up my eyes to heaven, something that the beasts of the field, I will point out, do not do. It is only those with risen minds that do that. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. Uh, He comes out with a great poem, and then he finishes off with the goal that the Spirit of God had for him here. When his reason returned to him, uh, the glory of his kingdom, his majesty, his splendor returned to him, his counselors, his lords sought him and established in his kingdom. The greatness was added to him. What was his response now to something that used to give him great amounts of pride? It was verse 37, the very last verse that he writes. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is basically he signs off, and this is the end of his story. I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All of his works are right. All of his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is more than able to humble. All. doesn't matter what station they are in life. It doesn't matter what power they have in life. It doesn't matter who they are in life. God is no respecter of persons when it comes to humiliating. God is no respecter of persons when it comes to salvation. He does not owe it to the wealthy. He does not owe it to the poor. He does not owe it to the oppressors nor to the oppressed. He saves those whom he will, he is gracious to those whom he will, and he humbles those whom he will. Now, let's go to the next story that the Spirit of God is involved with, which is Nebuchadnezzar's son, which did not receive any of the humiliation here, uh, at least wasn't given the chance for it. Uh, And these two stories are told in parallel in the book of Daniel, as we saw in the layout. They are meant to compare and contrast proper responses to God. Now, a lot of people look at this and go, Wow, well, Belshazzar didn't get anywhere near the opportunity to repent that his father did. Yes, he did. Who do you think would grow up hearing the stories of the one who was able to humiliate your father for seven years in the wilderness? First hand account to him growing up. My dad was living out in the fields for seven years, eating grass like an ox, and he humbled himself and served the Most High God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's son, King Belshazzar. Verse 1, chapter 5. Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords drank wine in front of the thousand. That's a big feast. You ever try to eat lunch with a thousand friends? Jeez. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple of Jerusalem be brought that the kings and his lords, his wives, his concubines might drink from all of them. Uh, you know, if you've been reading the Old Testament and you're kind of like reading through for the year and you read that, you just know that this story's not going to end well. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, the gods of silver, the gods of bronze and iron and wood and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. The king saw the hand as it wrote. And then the king's color changed. I love this description here in chapter in verse 6. The king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. Sounds familiar? God is telling us something, and I don't know what it means. I'm going to bring in all of the enchanters, the magicians, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, and they could not read the writing or make known to the king of the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar Was greatly alarmed, and his color changed again, and the lords were perplexed. But the queen, because of the words of the kings and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom. Oh, here's that same terminology In whom is the spirit of the holy gods? In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, (laughs) made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, one of knowledge, one of understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems, was found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation." Then Daniel was brought before the king. The king answered and said, "Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, when my king the father, uh, one whom my king the father brought from Judah. I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods, and that he is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and to make known to me its interpretation. They cannot do it. Verse sixteen. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems." Now, if you can read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around your neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel answered and said before the king, I don't want any of that. Let your gifts be for yourself. Give the rewards to another. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. You see that? But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. You and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and of gold, of bronze, iron, wooden stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you, uh, and, um, and whose are all your, uh, your ways, basically your breath, your movement, everything. You have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing is inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mine Mine Tekel parason." This is the interpretation of the manner. Mine, meaning God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and is given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. That's it. And so Babylon as an empire crumbles in a single night. The Persians come over and take over, and the Persian empire takes over the world. That happened that exact night. By the way, we know that from history as well. They were actually, while that entire thing was going on, they dammed up the river uh, that flowed underneath the wall. They pulled out the bars of protection and dug underneath the walls and just walked right in while they were all distracted by their pride and their arrogance. Um, They went in and took over Babylon, uh, arguably with less death than the vast majority of other sieges because it happened in an instant. Uh, remarkable things. Belshazzar was killed and the kingdom was received by the Medes and the Persians. Um, and then so goes on the rest of the story. Daniel goes to Persia and then he faces his own persecution there with Darius regarding the lion's den and everything else. Remarkable story. Again, we have the same thing going on. A proud king and a revelation from God that no human can understand. No human can interpret. And yet here we have not any enchanter, or any Chaldean, or any astrologer, or any of the magicians can do it. And then Daniel walks in and goes, "Hi, haven't seen you in years." Uh, and uh, the king goes, "You know, I'll give you everything you want, anything. A third in my kingdom, I'll give you all sorts of things." Daniel's like, "I don't want anything. Like, what good is it?" to be third ruler in a kingdom that's ending in literally two hours. I'm not interested, thanks. Um, You can keep all that for yourself. I'll go ahead and just go, I'm already in exile. I'll just transfer whatever kingdom I'm a part of. And the Spirit of God gives him understanding to be able to read this writing and then gives him the ability to interpret what it means. Now, this is different than a dream. And you can see the difference in how God does these things. He doesn't give a dream to Belshazzar. He gives something not. So a dream is very private. Nobody else can witness it. It's just in your mind. And as we all know, dreams tend to fade as soon as we wake up. Uh, this is one of the things that happened to Nebuchadnezzar, and he goes, I can't even remember what the dream is. Tell me what it was. The second time he remembers what the dream is, but dreams are very personal. They happen in the privacy of, of bed, just sleeping. You have this dream, now you want to know its interpretation. The exact opposite of that is while you're throwing a party for a thousand of your closest friends and relatives, the hand of God appearing floating in the sky and writing on the wall with his fingertip. Now that is dramatic theater on a level that dreams aren't. That is pretty remarkable because it's not that anyone can doubt that this was said. This is not Belshazzar unleashing some interesting theory. This is verifiable revelation that was given by the finger of God in the face of a thousand people. That doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often. And as far as it is, that is prophecy. That is scripture. So what are we to glean from it? Who is the member of the Trinity who gives prophecy, who gives uh, scripture, and who is in the spirit of the prophets? We should be able to see that that is the hand of the spirit of God drawing in the wall and then able to give Daniel the meaning, not only how to, uh, to read it, but also the meaning of it, and then the interpretation of it. Um, and again, it's describing future events, things that hadn't happened yet. Warning them about something that was about to happen, something that was um, at the gates, and something that it didn't matter what Belshazzar was going to say, this is a proclamation of judgment about to be taken out on you. Now, obviously, Belshazzar is not here repenting or anything. He's just trying to say, hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for telling me that. I'll stay good to my word. Here's, here's the purple. Here's the gold chain. Here's the third, uh, you know, the third ruler in the kingdom. Great. Everyone's here to hear that, right? Everything's good. And Daniel's like, dude, <laughs> it's, it's over. And then we just get that one little sentence at the end. What the Spirit of God wrote, gave to Daniel, and interpreted, and foretold. Happened that exact night, Belshazzar was king, uh, as king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Anything stand out to you on this level and in this story?
1: Again, immediacy.
0: Immediacy. But also that
1: in both cases, they had foreknowledge of through either family relationship or through communication. I mean, it, here they are again yep. in their arrogance and pride.
0: Yep. And this, this is something that we see in... This isn't unique to Babylon, and we see this in the rest of the book of Daniel. It's going to be part of every single empire for all time. Uh, that was one of the things that the introduction to the book of Daniel we watched really brings out. This is not unique to Babylon and to Persia and to Greece and to Rome. It's, it's, it's endemic to all empires. It's endemic to all leaders. Pride can quickly take us over. Um, we recognize this even in the fallen world, right? I don't know how many of you uh, have watched Batman before, but even there, it's addressed what things make heroes into villains. And, and we see this pattern in rulers and leaders and everything. Um, and what was it that was said about this? It just came to my mind. Um, you either die a hero or you live for yourself long enough to see yourself become a villain, basically being in a position of leadership or being in a position of, of king or something like this. What tends to happen is over time, that kind of involvement in people's lives can take you over and that pride can consume you. And the reality is what God is saying here and what Daniel is saying here is that's not something unique to just kings. This is, this is part of being fathers. This is part of being managers in our jobs. This is part of being pastors. The, the temptation to become proud sits next to the heart of us all. Who's the only one whose revelation can come in and interrupt that? That's what we're really learning about. It is God's word, it is God's revelation that can interrupt that. And here's the thing. God is able to humble whoever he wants. No matter how proud they get, God is able to humble them. What are we to conclude about that? That we would desire maybe to humble ourselves before it gets to the point of where God must intervene and humble us. It's
1: very interesting to me. And is watching his father as he's growing up, you know, have to suffer with eating the grass and, you know, being humbled in right. that way. And be able to go into leadership and not realize it and say, hey, this is me. You know guess what? Just mm-hmm. like your dad, you're going to pay for it.
0: Right, right.
1: Just, you know, seen it two or three times and, and still didn't learn anything. Yep. And just...
0: It, it's, it's hard. We, a lot of people don't learn secondhand. A lot of us are thick-skulled enough we have to learn everything firsthand. And Belshazzar is a good example of that. I, and, and most commentators agree that Belshazzar was, was alive and in the palace when Nebuchadnezzar was turned into a beast. Because his name is uh, endemic to the service of foreign gods, not to the Most High God. So if Nebuchadnezzar truly was humbled and followed the Lord those days afterwards, he wouldn't have named his new son Belshazzar. Uh, Belshazzar would have been a name of a son he had before that story, which really comes to mind here, meaning not only was he aware of the stories from Nebuchadnezzar, he saw it happen to his dad. That, that should, I mean, this is what Daniel says. You know this, you know, Bel Belshazzar, You you know this, you've seen this. And yet you have walked in in a much higher pride even than your father did. Uh, And you specifically, and that's what the interpretation of this is. Mine mine takele up Harrison. The takele part is you have been weighed and found wanting. You were supposed to learn from your father not to walk in pride. Otherwise, God will humble you. And so, yes, God will humble you by murdering you this night. Remarkable. Now, here's the thing. When people go, oh, well, you know, where where was Belshazzar's second chance? Right there. Right there. Repent, because you're going to die tonight. That is the second chance. You are warned. There are many, many people who are never warned, except in Scripture. And we're supposed to learn secondhand from them, just as Belshazzar was to learn. And so the reality is, for the reader of Daniel, we're supposed to look at this and go, It it should be enough for us to learn secondhand from Nebuchadnezzar and also Belshazzar to not walk in pride and to simply walk in the humbleness of mind and to serve the Lord in humility. Same thing that God the Spirit had said through Micah the prophet back years before. Love justice, seek mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Why do we love justice? Because we don't want to encourage or allow sin. But we also don't want to just walk around looking at other people's sin and just pointing the finger at them. We should also love mercy. We should say, look, we're not going to sit here and count every step you make on the Sabbath day and make sure you don't break a law. Nitpicking other people's lives. No, we should love mercy. We should love justice. And ultimately, our main focus would should be that we walk humbly with our God. And yet we become much more adept at figuring out whether or not other people are walking humbly with God or whether or not they're doing what things are right. And Jesus addresses this attitude in all of us by saying, look, you have a log in your own eye. You can't even see clearly. And you're going to go out and try to, try to mess with other people's and nitpick their life and they got a speck here and a speck there. Look, you think they only have a speck in their eye. They also have a log in your eye, their eye and you miss that. You've missed general sinfulness of all of you and you're just paying attention to little specks and stuff. Just focus on the log in your own eye. What's that? Sinfulness at a great degree of not walking humbly with God. To walk humbly with God is to believe on him, to believe his word, and to live in light of that. It's a shield around those who trust the Lord. Any other questions Recognitions or any other uh, observations here before we uh, close out? Yes, sir.
1: When Nebuchadnezzar uh, was brought back to rule, mm-hmm. does history tell us how long he ruled because before his son, Balthazar, took over? I mean, That's a good he, question. He, all of a sudden he's out there and now he, he claims, he, you know, that he understands everything. Yep. And then did he die right after that or? or? Or did
0: he rule for 10 or 15 or 20 years? I, I don't. Hang on. That's a good question. Uh, let me pull up. Believe it or not, I know a lot of things off the top of my head. The death of Babylonian kings is not one of them. 562. I knew it had to be after 580. He died in 562. Um, What year? Chapters 3 and 4. We have chapter four. Okay, so chapter three, we have its starting date is 605. Chapters three and four span 40, gee, what is 43 years. So we do not know what moment and what seven-year span inside that reign it would be. So let's see. So let me backtrack this for a second. If chapters three and four covers years 605 to 562, he takes over through Nab- Nabopolassar uh, the conquest of Jerusalem in 586, 587, the winter time. So then he has Daniel and his friends in Babylon before his death from 586 to 562. That would be 24 years. Seven of those 24 years he spends in the wilderness. And several of those years before that had to do with. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, in the fiery furnace. And Daniel was already having interpreted the dreams and already made chief of the magicians. This is towards the end of his reign. So maybe, maybe five years at most uh, before, uh, uh, after his entire uh, reign is restored back to him and his death when Belshazzar takes over. Okay, so I'd say maybe at max five years. That's me guesstimating right now.
1: Brian showed that those last five years, the last few years, there was a change in the way the,
0: the way he reigned. That's a good question that I have no idea about. But I will look into because that would be a really curious thing. Um, that'd be a really curious thing. Problem problem that would come down from that is how difficult records from that will be to uncover. Um, because when Persia comes in, they kind of level things and uh, undo history. Uh, That happens all the time. So I will look that up because now I'm curious about it. Good question. That would be really interesting to see.
1: The other thing was interesting, I'm glad you talked about uh, prior to chapter four, okay? Because my understanding from the the times way past, if you foretold something the king didn't like, Mm-hmm. You probably were put to death, okay? yeah. And he's explaining to him this bad stuff is going to happen to you, right? And so the king could say, "Well, but, but earlier you indicated that he learned from the uh, Shadrach, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, there was the spirit of the Lord in this
0: man, right? Because he had already told him his first dream uh, back years ago." Um, uh, regarding the, the the first dream he had of of the statue of the four different metals. And, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you the head of gold. And that was most likely one of the things that rose his pride up in him, even though the whole point of that statue is you're going to lose the kingdom, they're going to lose the kingdom, they're going to lose the kingdom, and then God sets up his kingdom. Yeah, but pride is a fickle thing that lies to us about how great we are, uh, doesn't it? All right, I will look into that and uh, I'll see how that goes because now I'm kind of curious about that. Um, if we have any indication how Nebuchadnezzar's reign changed at the end of his life, I wonder what it'd be. Um, yeah, I'll look into that. Anything else, guys? All right, let's, let's pray and then we can go. Our Father, we're grateful for this day. We thank you, Father, that your word consistently reminds us uh, that humility is the order of the day for those who follow you. We pray that that be our primary mode of interacting both with you and with one another, uh, that we serve from a heart of humility, that we love one another uh, out of minds that are affected not only by knowledge, for we know that knowledge on its own puffs, puffs up, but Father of humility of mind and of treating one another as more significant than ourselves, looking not only to our own interests, but the interests of others. We thank you, Father, for this mind that was in Christ Jesus that can now be in ours. He did not consider equality with you, our Father, a thing to be grasped, but he made himself of no reputation and was found in human likeness, born as one of us, and humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And now you have highly exalted him and has given him a name that is above every name that at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is indeed Lord. We pray, Father, that we bask in that knowledge now and that we humble ourselves now and follow our Lord Christ wherever it leads. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. you right, guys.